What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every week, we choose a Kate Blanchett film and talk about it with a guest. This is your host, Mortada El Fadl, and I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast for the first time, filmmaker and podcaster, Chels. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me on. This is a dream come true for me. I'm so excited to talk about Kate and everything else. Uh, it's honor to have you on. I've listened to you on podcasts. I have talked to you on Twitter, but this is actually our first time sort of like talking to each other in real life, if you can call Zoom real life. But I'm very excited to talk to you. No, this is fun. Zoom is real life at this point. So this totally counts. <laughs> Yes, it does. So the movie that we're going to be talking about this week is The House with a Clock in Its Walls. And when I think of this title, it's just the title. It's like so long. It reminds me of that other Kate movie, the Indiana Jones one, which I could never remember what it's called. I just know it's the Indiana Jones movie with Kate Blanchett that everybody hates. And so it's one of those long titles. Yeah, I just, I still cannot get the title right on this one. I'm like, there's a clock. Is it in the walls? Is it on the walls? Is it more than one clock? I don't know. Yeah, for me, it's more like, is it a clock or clocks? Because I just called it house with clocks. But then when I actually sat down to watch it and to prepare for this episode, it's just one clock, but it's many walls. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> No, this this film was something. It's one of the few, like when I started this podcast project, which has been going now for, I don't know, two and a half years, whatever. But, you know, I took breaks. It's not like I've been talking about Kate Blanchett for two and a half years. I took long breaks in the middle. But this was one of the very few movies that I haven't seen before I started the project. Because it's always like I come to a movie with, with you know, I've seen it when it came out or years later or whatever. I always think that I've seen all of them. And then suddenly there is one I haven't seen. And this is one of the few that I haven't seen. And I haven't actually seen it until this just a couple of days ago to talk to you. Yeah, I hadn't seen it either, but I had heard good things about it. I knew it made money, oddly enough. That's one thing I knew. And that I'm like, oh, it's probably a good kids movie. I consume a ton of children's content. So I'm like, yay, good one for the kids there, I guess. But yeah, no, this was a first time for me. Yeah. And it's definitely, I think you, you nailed it. It's definitely one for the kids. Like, you know, always actors with kids will say things like, oh, you know, I made a movie so my kids would watch it. And I know Kate's kid, if I know, you know, about her, I think they're older. They can probably maybe watch all of her movies, except I think she has somebody, you know, she has a lot of them. I think she has somebody who's really young. So probably this is for like the young ones. It had to be, or it's like she had to have been friends with somebody behind the scenes and said, yeah, sure, I'll do this. Because it's a very odd choice just looking at her filmography. Mm -hmm. Then amongst the other children's stuff, this really stands out to me. Yeah, totally. And I think I think she really loved 
working on this movie because she's reteaming with Eli Ross, who directed in Borderlands, which I think they have already shot. So it should be coming at us anytime. He must be somebody nice to work with because like, I don't usually enjoy his like for adult movies. I don't enjoy his stuff, but everyone seems to really like working with him. And I hope he's just very nice. Yeah, that's that's the impression I get too. And I think I only really know him from the Quentin Tarantino movie Inglorious Bastards. I think he played, he had a, a supporting role in that movie. And that's my only reference with Eli Ross. But I know he's he's an actor, he's a director, he's done a lot. Yeah, he usually does like spooky, like really gory stuff that I'm generally not into. Mm-hmm. But you know, if that's your thing. But again, this is also an odd choice for him because he also makes really gross movies. Yeah, I mean, it is spooky, but it's just not like it's spooky for children. Um, and maybe not spooky enough, which is we're going to talk about it. But um, we're going to talk about the house with a clock in its walls. But before we get into that, Chels, I want to ask you about your impression about Kate Blanchett. Oh, goodness. If we're talking just in general... I feel like um, Kate Blanchett was one of those actresses, like when I was very young, I'm like, oh, this is a real actress. This is not just somebody on my television. Like I vividly remember hearing her voice in Lord of the Rings and being like, oh, she's different. She's something special. Like she left a very weird impression on me, even though she's not really in those movies that much. Mm -hmm. She like haunts them somehow. And then, like, actually watching movies outside of that, I was like, oh, no, she she is a real actress. I was right. Young me was right. <laughs> That's It's so funny because um, I think Lord of the Rings is the movie that a lot of people bring up because it was, it was a few years into her career. Like, I think the first one was in 2001, something like that. So that... Yeah, I was, like, 10 years old when it came out, also 150 years old at the same time. <laughs> And I was like, I really relate to this very beautiful but terrifying woman who's just like, she did scar me in that movie at the very end of the first one. It was wonderful. I loved it. So when when she did that, I had I've already been in love because I fell in love with her with Elizabeth. So that was the first movie I saw her, which came I think a few years before um, the Mm. Lord of the Rings. But it's funny, you know, talking to people about Kate in this podcast. There is people like me who are like, oh, Elizabeth. You know, I saw her in Elizabeth. I fell in love. That's the thing. And then there are people like you who whose first introduction is The Lord of the Rings. I think it's just those two movies. So you either saw her at Elizabeth or it was The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I saw Elizabeth probably right when Return of the King came out. Like that's when I found the DVD at like a blockbuster knockoff. And I was like, oh, this is like a real movie. I love this. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I've always thought of like, I saw her in music, like, who is this? And I haven't been, you know, and I haven't stopped thinking about her since then. I get it. She's captivating. I'm like, how is this the same person who gave me nightmares? I know, right? Just a few years ago. So let me ask you one more question about Kate, and then we can get into the movie. Um, when you think of Kate Blanchett, what do you think of? Like, I know we all think of, you know, we form these relationships with actors and their persona on screen. Um, and, you know, so what do you think when you think of Kate? It's very difficult because she's so versatile. Like, I named my tattoo after the Harold, uh, their lesbians meme <laughs> because I love Carol. 
we were the pretentious film. It was a bunch of me and a master's students and film kids. We all went to go see Carol and we were like, this is the greatest film ever made. But then I also think she was way too good to be in Ocean's 8 and so cool and hot at the same time. Mm. And so it's just, I think of so many different things when I think of her. And that's kind of why I love her. Like, I remember seeing Blue Jasmine on a very hot summer day, like the air condition didn't work in the theater. And we, I walked out of that film and I'm like, she's winning Best Actress for that. Like, mm-hmm. I had not seen anything else in contention that year, I don't think. And I'm like, she's winning. It's fine. It's really hot today. <laughs> but she's so versatile and fun. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at all of her red carpet stuff, she's so witty and silly in a way that she doesn't always get to be on screen so I don't know she just holds like this really brilliant place in my mind of just being way too cool and smart um I'm happy you brought up Ocean's 8 because I think when that movie came out I was expecting a little bit maybe more than what it was and I was like oh this movie wasn't good I don't think it deserves Kate whatever but as I've, I've watched it and I've talked to people and a lot of people bring it up on this podcast when I ask them exactly about, you know, what they feel about Kate and exactly what you said. It's that that's the fun Kate that we see maybe in interviews on the red carpet, but it's never been captured on film. She's a, theory, a serious actor. So she does, you know, movies like Carol and Jasmine and, you know, serious movies, but also like that fun part doesn't come out a lot, but it came out in Ocean's 8. So now a few years down the line, I'm like, Ocean's 8 was a pretty fun movie. I'm happy it's there. It is. It's one of those perfectly fine middle of the road films, but like her and Sandra Bullock somehow elevate this very boring director and pretty boring script and just have chemistry with everybody. And also her costumes in that. I'm like, this is a lot of queer women. They saw Carol. They're going to go straight to yeah. this and not even pay attention to the plot. Yes. And I think also, like, if we're talking about her costumes in, in Ocean's 8, like, when you see her not on the red carpet, when you when you see sort of those paparazzi photos, like, I remember when she did a play in New York a few years ago, there was a lot of paparazzi photos of her just walking to work into the theater. And she kind of looked like she looks in Ocean's 8. So probably that's the closest to her real life persona. I believe it. Just being hot and cool. I believe it. I'm very pro hot people just in life. And Kate Blanchett is right there. Me too. So let's talk about the movie in question. So for this episode, I'm talking with Charles about the house who's a clock in its wall. This is, as we said, starring Kate and also directed by Eli Ross. The other actors in this movie are Jack Black, who's the lead. Or maybe he is um, the co-lead because there is a kid. The movie is about a kid since it's a kid's movie. And the kid is Owen Vaccaro, who I'm looking at IMDb right now. He's much older. Even though this movie is only a few years old, it's from what year? From 20. Isn't it like from three and a half years ago? Yes, it's from 2018. So, but you know, kids grow up fast. Um, other actors in, in this movie are Renee Elise Goldsberry, Kyle McLachlan, Colleen Camp. Um, some of the, one of the younger actors is Suni Suljic, who we know from the, um, what's his name? Yorgos Lantimos movie. The one with Nicole Kidman. 
totally blanking on the title, but anyway. Oh, Killing on the Sacred Deer. Yes, that one. (laughs) So the house was a clock in its walls. I can't believe this long title. Is according to IMDb, um, a young orphan named Louis Barnveld aids his magical uncle in locating a clock with the power to bring about the end of the world. Um, So he's an orphan. He comes... Um, his parents die, so he goes to live with his uncle. This is Jack Black. Kate Blanchett plays Florence Zimmerman, who is um, Jack Black's friend and neighbor. And there is a lot of machinations and plot about this clock that can change the world. The evil people are Carl McLachlan and Renee Elise Goldsberry. And, you know, they save, they save the world, basically. Um, Kate is a witch. Um, Jack Black is a warlord. And the kid is trying to be magical. Did I, is that what it is? What do you, what do you say? Is that what, what's it about? That's pretty much it. Like, and it's very, it's an oddly paced film. Like genuinely the first half of it is the kid learning magic before any evil really happens. And it's like school bullies is the first half of it. And then it just like really amps it up in the last 30 minutes. And it was kind of confusing for me. I had to go and read the plot description as I was watching it just to figure out what was going on at some points um, because it's very, it's very focused on the child. Jack Black and is de- Jack feels definitely supporting and Kate is just like, she pops in. It almost feels she's like she's a visitor. She is. <laughs> she comes in and then, you know, she comes in later on. She has one big magic trick. Um, and even her like backstory, she's supposed to have lost her family during the war. I think this movie is set in the fifties. So all of them have just lived through the second world war. Um, but even that is just sort of like, to me, it was like tossed off. Like, oh, we're supposed to care that you lost your family during the war. It is very in the background. And it's like, while reading plot descriptions, it's like, she has a tattoo on her arm and I'm like, oh, wait, was she in a concentration camp? Because the film doesn't exactly say it or spell mm-hmm. everything out for you. But the plot description I read really did for me because it is, I guess it's based on a children's book. Yes, it's based on a book by Joan Belairs, which I've never heard of. But anyway, that is kind of what you were saying about the character sort of like, I I usually like when they don't explain lots of things in movies, but I think here I needed a little bit of explanation about the background of all these characters, which is funny because this movie has a lot of flashbacks. There's a lot of flashback to go back and explain like the origin story of their villain, Kyle MacLachlan, the origin story of Renee Elise Goldberry. They tell us how, you know, the orphan at the center of this all, how his parents died. There's a lot of flashbacks, but I'm like, could we have gotten one more flashback so we can understand Kate's character and then Mm -hmm. her relationship and friendship with the Jack Black character? Like it seemed that that was important for your two top build stars. It's an interesting role to cast Kate Blanchett in because she's two time Oscar winner, Kate Blanchett. And like, it's very like, it's a throwaway role in many ways. Like most films, you would just cast somebody from television, maybe like a recognizable television star. I am not denigrating television in any way. But it's but different. This is like a, yeah, it is. Like this is a mid-budget film. It's. I texted my friends, this feels like a Disney Channel original movie that had way too much money. 
yes. because it did look pretty good. I th- costumes were really good on Kate, especially. And I'm like, I wish they'd given the story a bit of a once over once you cast Kate Blanchett yeah. in it and kind of beef it up a little. I agree. Um, I think her role needed to be beefed up a little bit more than uh, what we have. But what we have is there is there are lots of humorous little bits. One of my favorite things is when she's introduced, um, there's all these sort of like verbal spars and barbs thrown back and forth between her and Jack Black. And I really mm-hmm. like that. That like that was my favorite part of the film. And I think when he calls her, yeah, like they make fun of how they each other they each look. And so he says that she literally looks like a Q-tip. That to me was one of the funniest lines in the film. It is really good because like costume wise, I can see it. And they do have really good chemistry and banter. If this was like for a slightly older audience, I think that would be a way more fun dynamic to dive into. I really enjoyed them. I thought they were both having a great time in this very silly movie. Yeah, totally. And I also like the look of Kate, like she's playing a witch. They keep telling us she's a witch, but her costuming and her makeup hair is totally not what like is the traditional witch look. Like usually witches will have free flowing, you know, free flowing hair. But here she has a prim you know, Bob. She's very put together. Yes. Very, like everything, like the outfits are like bright purple colors. And I, again, I loved her costuming and her hair and everything yeah. and her makeup. It was so much fun, but she, she's not giving you tangled witch vibes. She's not giving you Susan Sarandon. Like she's very like almost flight attendant, like in many ways. Yeah. Or Mary Poppins, because she does exactly bring out an umbrella at the end of this film, which is that is true. It always made me feel like I'm like, oh, so are we supposed to think of her as Mary Poppins? Because the costuming definitely looks like a little bit like Mary Poppins, very prim and proper. It really does. Yeah. And I keep I'm, I keep forgetting this is not a Disney movie because I feel like it should be a Disney movie. It, yes, it totally should be a Disney movie. It's, it's all about kids and, you know, whatever. And, and Mary Poppins. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's why they were able that they, they costumed her as Mary Poppins, because it wasn't a Disney movie. And they wanted to be like, they wanted people to think like, hmm, Disney, because, you know, Disney's popular. Yeah. So, Chell's. Um, I've always wanted to talk to you and invite you on the podcast, but I was, I always try to think of a reason to invite someone. And so I saw your tweets about Jack Black. Um, and, and I was like, Oh, Chels, you know, I want to have Chels in the podcast and we have this movie and that would be perfect. So tell me about Jack Black and why you like him. I okay for I am a queer woman but I genuinely think Jack Black is one of the hottest most confident men to have walked this earth because he's always himself he's always genuine whenever he's joking it's never mean-spirited even though he makes fun of himself all the time it's it's silly fun almost like a weird pure energy and I do think he is very witty he's a great actor I He's one of my favorite parts of The Holiday, the Nancy Myers film. Everybody's Jude Law. And I'm like, honestly, Jack Black is the person you want to date in that film. I feel like he's a great catch. He's so nice. He has a great job. He lives in California. He's 
really silly and cool. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know, every time I see him, he just makes me happy. Like his TikToks are so silly and he just does not care. Like he, he's just always having a good time. And I appreciate him as a performer. We need more performers that don't take themselves seriously and really just go with the flow. Yes. I agree. So I have to admit, like, I don't really have much of a relationship with, with Jack Black. I think he makes movies that I'm kind of not that interested in, but I do know him from The Holiday. And I do agree with you that he is very charming in The Holiday in a sort of offbeat way. Um, and also The Holiday, I think one of its strengths is that it makes you really feel for him and that he is absolutely an amazing catch for Kate Winslet. And he plays that part with such warmth. Um, that frankly surprised me because I think of him in my mind. I know him mostly from the Oscars where he would, um, he would, he had um, presented awards at the Oscars a couple of times and he did those sort of song sketches with um, Will Ferrell. And that's really my Mm -hmm. point with him. And I always find him funny and charming, but also so sort of loud and a big personality. So he undercuts all of that in the holiday with this very warm sort of presence that I was kind of surprised by. So, and I think a lot of that also appears here in this movie because here he has to take care of his nephew. He is um, trying to teach him. He's sort of a mentor and a teacher and an uncle. And yes, the movie is, you know, has all these spooky things and magic and plots and things flying at you. But also I think he brings that, a little bit of that same warm presence that he brought to the holiday to the house. I can't say that title. The house with a clock in its walls. (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're totally right. Like I think some people kind of miscast or just like they saw him be loud one time and think that's all he can do. And it is like when you get him to the holiday and even things like School of Rock where he is loud, but you see him and how he plays off people in a very different way. I like, I love the film Bernie. It's a very weird film. Like it's very strange, but I love it. And it's, if you can write to these other sides of him and not just make him loud and shouting and singing a song, I think you really tap into something special. Not everybody does that, Mm -hmm. but when it is there, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, And I have to admit one more thing. I always sort of mixed up Jack Black and Zach Galifianakis. I could never tell them apart. That is so fair. (laughs) I've learned that Zach is just exactly the hangover it feels like over and over and he really plays into the sad guy whereas jack black feels more optimistic and i trust him with children Mm -hmm. like he is so good at being around children and not being weird like school of rock again great film like underrated classic i again we don't give Oscars to comedy we should he's amazing yes absolutely and then you look at something like this where it's like you see him shouting at the kid in one scene and the kid is just like folding in on himself and trying to explain. And like you watch Jack Black's face change from anger to sadness to like, I have failed this kid. Mm -hmm. And it's like, he does that without saying a word and it's all within like a small moment. And I'm like, oh, 
these are the things that like, yes, this is a very silly film that I don't know if I would recommend to everybody, but if you watch it, Jack Black is given great performance. Yes. So your recommendation for his coolest moment is School of Rock. I mean, you're always going to have a good time with School of Rock. Totally. Everybody loves Mike White right now. Mike White is in it. He, I think, wrote it with Richard Linklater or so, co-wrote yeah. it. I don't mm-hmm. know. One of the two. But it is just magical fun. And we need more fun. Yes, I agree. And I will recommend that everybody go watch him at the Oscars. I think it was 2003 or 2004 where he presented the Best Original Song Award with Will Ferrell. And they did this song about <laughs> um, the song they play when, when you go long in your speeches. It's a very fun moment. I always remember when, you know, his line in the song where he says, it's a funny song. And he's like, look at Catherine Zeta-Jones. She's snoring. Like, that's my favorite Jack Black moment. I'll link to it in the podcast. So you can, if you haven't oh, seen everybody it. Everybody go watch it. Just go watch all of that. And again, I say Will Ferrell is better without Adam McKay. And I've said that for years and now I feel justified. <laughs> we'll talk about that more later. Yes. Um, we're also going to play a game with um, later and we'll talk more about the house with a clock in its walls. But Chels, I wanted to ask you first about your podcasts and you have a few of them. Yes. So I've we, my first podcast was the Community Rewatch podcast, where we've been rewatching Community, but also we do random offshoots of other TV shows. Right now, we're actually covering Mythic Quest season two because we have befriended their creator, Megan Gans. And Mythic Quest is a delight. I say it's better than Community. So look forward to that. We're going to have Megan back on the show to talk about the episode she directed. And Mythic Quest is just a great show. And then I have Untitled Cinema Gals Project. Uh, Me and Morgan did a bunch of episodes last year. We're gearing up for a new season. I have some very deranged episode themes coming your way in 2022. (laughs) I'll tell you more about those after the show. And then we are also doing a mini series. I'm covering RuPaul's Drag Race with two friends. And that'll be on the Cinema Gals feed because they're just miniature episodes because I just like Drag Race. It's my joy. I love Drag Race too. And then, oh, come on. I didn't know you did a a podcast about Drag Race. I am so going to want to listen to that. I mean, we just came up with this idea last week. (laughs) Okay. All right. No, we just decided. We'll have you on this season. All right. That's going to be a must listen for me and I hope for everybody listening. Yeah. So yeah, go find me. It's Chels725 on anywhere that matters. Twitter, letterbox. My letterbox is deranged though. So enjoy that. You know, letterbox for me, I love your letterbox. Um, and letterbox for me is like when I where I say the real stuff, like, you know, on Twitter, whatever, on my podcast, I try to be, you know, a critic. Uh, but on letterbox, I just say the real stuff. So if you want the truth, go it's to letterbox. Like- Go to Letterboxd. Sometimes I'm genuine. Most of the time I am just amplified silliness. Like I keep joking. King Kong is my best actor from Godzilla versus Kong this year. You'll never know if I'm genuine. (laughs) Uh, That sounds like fun. So give Chels a follow. Um, And I can't wait to listen to what you have to say about RuPaul's Drag Race. That's amazing. Um, but yeah. let's go to the to the topic at back to the topic at hand today, and this movie was Kate and Jack Black. And I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite scene um, in this movie? 
I have one, but I'll let you go first. Oh, goodness. I do. I mean, I guess I'm going to spoil this film a little bit. I feel like most are probably not going to watch four years this old, one. It's four years old or three and a half years old. It's you can hard spoil to it. find. You have to pay like $2. <laughs> it's fine. But I really like the scene where Kate Blanchett is like locked up and stuff. And like she, the whole thing is she can't really use her magic because she lost her family in a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. And she like lost that part of herself there. And she's like found this new family with Jack Black and the kid. I don't know the kid's name, honestly, but <laughs> Owen, something like and that. And then she's able to something like that. But then she's able to use her magic again. And I actually really felt that. I was like, this is a pretty cute moment. If I was 10 years old, I would really, really love this. Yeah, that was a cute moment. Um, my favorite moment in this movie has nothing to do with Kate, which is very surprising to me. Um, but there is, so the baddie, one of the baddies is played by Renee Elise Goldsberry. And she sort of like inhabits the bodies of other people. And so there mm-hmm. is one scene where it starts with um, the na- one of the other neighbors of Jack's is played by Colleen Camp. Her name is Mrs. Hanchett. And so Renee, uh, Renee goes into her body. So the scene starts with the transformation of Colleen Camp into Renee Elise Goldsberry and then into another actor who plays the kid's mom. And so, but they're doing the special effects and the performance from these three actresses. They're doing it as if they're eggs hatching. So every time the transformation happens from one to the other, they're like turning their heads around and doing all these body movements. And I just thought it was such a fun visual. And I was like, oh, this is a good special It really is. And it's actually kind of scary. Like if I I put myself in the mind of like my seven-year-old niece and I'm like, oh, this would scare the crap out of me. That's the point. And again, Renee Elise Goldsberry, this, this film has such a good cast. Yes. It has no right to be this well cast, <laughs> yes. but I was so delighted to see her in a villainous role. Like I think the closest we've ever really got to that is Wiki and Girls 5 Eva, yeah. who's like the greatest character ever made, but I love seeing her in a slightly more wicked side. Yes, I, she's really, really delicious in this film. I just think there's not enough of her. I wish there was a little bit more. I need so... I always need more of her, but I really needed more of this character. Like, maybe she could have been the main villain mm-hmm. in a way instead of Twin Peaks, Mr. Yes. Okay. I mean, Kyle MacLachlan is an actor I enjoy, but... He's like under a lot of latex latex makeup in this film and you can't even recognize him. I think that's the detriment is the makeup on him is it it didn't feel necessary to what they were doing. Yeah. Like he could have just looked ghostly and like with some cracks on his face, but he looks real scary and weird. Yes, absolutely. So let's play um, a game. Before we, oh, we talk a little bit more about the film, I have a couple more things I want to say about the film. But before we do that, let's play a game, Chels. I hope you're ready. It's going to be fun. Oh, so this is a game I came up with because, as I said earlier, I could not for a while differentiate between Zach Galifianakis and Jack Black. Oh. I think it's going to be very easy <laughs> for you because you're a Jack Black fan. But let's play. I really hope so. This could be embarrassing. <laughs> let's play. Is it Zach or is it Jack? <laughs> so. Okay. I 
I'm ready. So I'm going to give you the name of the film and you're going to tell me who's in the film. Is it Jack or is it Zach? Um, so for listeners playing along, Jack is in this movie and we have also mentioned that he's in Bernie and that um, he did those Oscars things. So that's your reference. And Zach Galifianakis is in the Hangover movies. So those are his most famous movies. But when I went into IMDb, they are in a lot of other movies that it could be either. And I was like, oh, is Zach younger? Because I think he maybe came around or became famous a little bit after Jack. But I found they were born on the same year. So. Oh, wow. Okay. You might be onto something here. (laughs) So is it Zach or is it Jack? And so I'll start with a movie. I'll start with an easy one. It's a movie that stars another Australian actress, Naomi Watts. King Kong, is it Zach or is it Jack? That is Jack because, again, I have mentioned King Kong. That's the King Kong movie I don't like. (laughs) All right. He's fine in it. It's just way too long. All right. So we'll start with another Australian actress who starred in Margot at the Wedding, Nicole Kidman. Who was her co-star? Is it Zach or is it Jack? Oh my goodness. You know what? I I feel like I'm going to be wrong. Is it Zach? It's Jack. Oh my goodness. I'm so <laughs> sorry, Jack. I do not remember you in that movie. I just remember Nicole. <laughs> so there is a movie um, that I didn't even know existed, but it, is, it does exist. It stars Joan Hamm and Gal Gadot and Isla Fisher. And it's called Keeping Up With The Joneses. And it's about apparently two couples um, in a um, cul-de-sac. And one couple is CIA operatives and the others want to impress them. So who is... I remember this and I am trying to figure out. Is it Jack or is it Zach? Is this one Zach? This one is Zach. This one is Zach. Okay, because I remember this movie, but I am like, this could be any schlubby guy. Okay. Because they always seem to pair Isla Fisher with that yes. guy, like a schlubby yes. guy. And it's it's Zach in this case. Okay. Um, I didn't know. Um, so we'll talk about another co-star of Kate's, Rooney Mara from Carol. She made a movie with Joaquin Phoenix called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. And Jack or Zach was in this movie. Is it Jack or is it Zach? Oh, I for sure did not watch this one because it just did not sound appealing to me. I am going to guess Zach. I'm going to be so bad. Um, It's (laughs) actually Jack. Jack Black, why are you making movies that I don't want to watch? This is rude. I know, right? It's very rude. Uh, But it is. He was in that movie. Um, and so I have one more for you. I have a couple more for you, but this one, I didn't okay. even know that there was a role for a Zach or a Jack. And this movie, what well, is a Disney movie? Um, oh. A Wrinkle in Time. Is it Jack or is it Zach? Okay. I did see this. I believe it is Zach. It is Zach. It's so I saw that in a theater. I might've been the only person who did. It's fine. Tells you're getting Zach movies right and Jack movies wrong. What is wrong with me? Oh my goodness. I must be broken like a clock. I don't know. So there is a movie from 2007 that starred Kristen Stewart. 
directed by Sean Penn, Into the Wild. And either Zach or Jack had a supporting part in it. Is it Zach or is it Jack? I remember watching this in 2007 and turning it off. So maybe you didn't get to the part with Zach or Jack. I probably didn't get to the part. But I'm going to guess Jack because, you know, I want the best for him, even though I didn't like that movie. Is it Jack? No, it's probably Zach. It's, I'm going to go Zach. It is Zach. You're right. You're getting all the Zachs yeah. right. <laughs> okay, the next movie is a movie that I have heard a lot about, but I've never actually got to watch it. And supposedly it has sort of a quasi-queer romance. So either oh. Zach or Jack has sort of a romance with James Martin in The D Train. Is it Zach or Jack? Oh, goodness. I've not heard of this, but now I am intrigued. I'm going to guess Jack because I hope it's Jack. You're right. It is Jack. And I yes. I think this is a movie you and I both have to go watch. I think we're going to have to find this now. Yes. The D train. Okay. So this is my final question. So there is this big flop of a movie that starred Alicia Vikander that's called Tulip Fever. That also had Judy Dench in it and Jack O'Connell and Christoph Waltz, but it also had either Zach or Jack. I'm going to guess Zach because I hope Jack was smarter than that. Jack was definitely smarter. And this is a movie with Zach Galifianakis. (laughs) That was so much fun. (laughs) That is maybe they are related down the line i feel like they have to be after they're born in the same year are they cousins distantly i'm gonna put that rumor out there yes. i'm gonna make that up right they now. they might be cousins totally <laughs> i could see it so when i when i when i started watching this movie and kate's character florence zimmerman kept saying that she's a witch it reminded me of this um interview that meryl street gave that i mentioned only a couple of weeks ago in the episode where we talked about nightmare alley but that interview always sort of comes up um, for me. It was, I think, on the British show on TV, Graham Norton. And she was talking about how when she turned 40, um, for a couple of years, every single movie role that she was offered was that of a witch. And so, and we were talking about, when I brought it up in the context of Nightmare Alley, we were talking about how Kate is in her 50s now, but she's playing the femme fatale. She's very seductive in the film. She's the desirable woman. And so things have changed, but not that much because a lot of contemporary actresses who hit their 40s or 50s play witches, including Kate in this movie. And so I look at so many, like we have, you know, Angelica Houston in The Witches, Meryl herself, she might have turned it down when she turned 40s, but a few years later, she played a witch in Into the Woods, um, mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock in Practical Magic, um, Stilda Swinton in The Chronicles of Narnia. It's, and then, you know, we have Cher, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer, although they were all younger and they played sort of like young, you know, they didn't play like old witches they were kind of like vibrant younger witches in the witches of Eastwick but it is a thing that a lot of contemporary actresses a lot of the people that we like have played it's a part a lot of them play yeah and I've noticed that a lot too because I've I've also seen that Meryl interview a long time ago and 
I'm like, it is a trend. And I'm like, is it because witch is the only role for a woman in a fantasy? Because even something like Lord of the Rings, like Kate is an elf, but she's a witch. She is a witch elf in the movie. (laughs) Like, and I'm like, even Anne Hathaway, like in the witches remake, I'm like, well, she's pushing 40 at this point. Yeah, I think so. I'm like, I mean, she took the Angelica Houston part probably around the same age that she is now when Angelica played it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's just a very strange thing. And I think it's only because that might be the only role for a woman in a fantasy film, because we're still working within the, you have to be a white dude to be in a fantasy thing. Like look at game of Thrones. Yeah. What were all the women in there? Like, most of them were just like concubines or something or like magic. Yes. But as I was thinking about this and all these actresses playing witches, I haven't seen the the Chronicles of Narnia, so I can't talk to that movie, but I was thinking like, I saw that in a theater as a child. Well, a teenager. So it's still that they're like um, a sort of powerful witch. Yes, she's like the villainous witch, like the main villain of the film. And she is scary. Like I was a teenager when that came out and it actually did scare me a little bit. Like her and how she was like very seductive to this child and manipulative. And also there's always something a little scary about Tilda Swinton. Mm -hmm. Like there's something always a little off. So whenever you put that in a children's film, I think that's actually smart casting, but all of these other witches are kind of like fun witches. Yes. And strong and powerful. I don't think Florence Zimmerman in the house with a clock in its walls is that powerful. I think any of these witches that we just mentioned, there's also Michelle Pfeiffer in Stardust. Any of these witches Mm -hmm. that that I mentioned will definitely defeat her. Um, Yeah. Like we are told she is very powerful. She did all this witch magic and I, it sounded like witch college at some point, like actually educated, but we never see it except for the one scene that I referenced where she actually gets some of her power back. Like that's the only time and it's not super impressive magic. So of all these witches that I mentioned, Chels, if they were all to be in a fight, who would win? Like, I think Marilyn into the woods is kind of scary, but I think the witches of Eastwick, those three, even, even one of them would win over all these others. They seem very powerful to me. Who, who's your choice? I mean, as much as I love practical magic, I know they would go down so easily compared to some of these. I'm like torn between like, Cher and Swinton because like Chronicles of Narnia she's actually actively trying to kill people all the time (laughs) it's oddly violent for a children's film but also I never underestimate Cher she's been through a lot and Cher is a witch I'm like "Mm -mm, I'm not messing with that I think Cher definitely I I say any of the witches of Eastwick but definitely Cher is the strongest you're absolutely yeah, right like she's a witch in real life <laughs> y'all we have to be concerned yes but it's definitely not going to be Florence Zimmerman from this movie because no <laughs> totally not like she's powerful. making everybody chocolate chip cookies y'all that's like her like pride and joy is baking cookies yes she's very nice She's in a nice movie. Like what I really loved about this movie is that it's so nice. Everybody's nice to each other. Like, you know, there is a big evil and they have to like fight him and 
and conquer him and whatever. But it's like not even like super evil because he went through World War II and yeah. he's just trying to erase the horrors of war. Yeah. Like that's what his main thing is. Yes. But if I had like, you know, it's such a nice movie. It feels a little, um, I feel bad that I have to sort of criticize it. But if I had a criticism for it, I will say like, there's just, it was maybe too nice and not, there is not enough. Um, not enough scares. There's not enough magic. Like we talked about yeah. the background to the characters. There's just not enough backstory to these characters. It was very long. Like you literally have to wait an hour before anything really happens. It's so much buildup in this child in school. And at a certain point, you're like, do you want it to be about the child and Jack Black and Kate Blanchett? Or do you want it to be about this child and being at school and trying to fit mm-hmm. in like you got to kind of pick what you want to do and they tried to do both and it it's not very cohesive yeah yes like when the kids at school i genuinely did not care that's when i was looking at my phone there was a lot of the kids at school i'm like who cares and i guess it's a it's a movie for kids so maybe you have you want the kids to um see themselves on screen but also that was too much you have Kate Blanchett and Jack Black there's no need for like half the movie to be about the kids <laughs> Yeah, like, pull the kid out of school. He's homeschooled, doing magic now. It's fine. Totally. Um, Also, this movie has a very disturbing image. Like, there is this, as they're doing this magic, there is a moment where Jack Black's big bearded adult face is put on a baby body. And I found that Mm -hmm. to be not scary exactly, but it's just something maybe I didn't want to have witnessed. It's very strange. It's literally like a CG baby. And adult jack black's face the size of said baby on top of it and it's like some of the imagery in this film doesn't work like i get they're trying to be funny and scary but most of the time it's like huh i don't know what i'm looking at they end up being i don't know why it reminds me of some of the jokes in it there's a lot of poop and vomit jokes like there's this lion topiary outside Mm -hmm. that just is constantly farting and pooping leaves and like mud and stuff into the kid's face and everybody. And I'm like, is this supposed to be a joke? Yeah, I know. It's just very strange. It is strange. And one of the things I wanted to bring up is just the look of it. It's kind of strange, but it's not that interesting to me. Like, oh, you know, you brought up the topiary, like everything kind of was like, hmm, this is strange, but I don't know that I like it or that it sort of is scary or magical or anything. Yeah, it's like it doesn't contribute to the world in any way. Like, are they trying to show that everything in the house is magic? Because like the chair moves around and stuff and seemingly has feelings and there are things like that in the house. But it also just doesn't really make sense or add up to anything to me because also they're tearing the house apart. So it's like, is the house alive or are we murdering the house? What's going on? Yeah, that that also is never clear. Like they, they, you can see that they're trying to tell you the house is maybe alive, but they never follow through with that. So the house was a clock in its walls is a movie in the Kate Blanchett filmography that I think you can skip. Like, unless you've reached the end, like me, where you have watched everything, you don't really have. Or unless you have like a 10 year old and you just happen to see it on TV just put it on in the background for them and maybe just pop in and see what's happening. But I am just, I'm like, huh, 
did she need a paycheck or something? Did she just have time off? Like, was this actually for the kid? I think is she doing a friend a favor? I think it's a combination of all of those things, right? Like, she probably wanted to do one for the kids. She probably was like, why not get a paycheck? Because this is a big studio movie. I'm assuming they got paid well. This is not an independent movie. And it made money. Yeah. That's the funny thing. Yeah. It, like, more than broke even. Yes. So, so it's all of those reasons. And, you know, Kate is somebody, she's always joked about how she's always in flops. So it's nice for her to have a hit um, once in a while. And it's so funny. This is like a good uh, transition to the two movies that she has out now, because one of them is definitely a flop, Nightmare Alley. Nobody has went to see that, but I hope you've listened to our episode about it. And the other one is Don't Look Up, which is a huge hit on Netflix. Everybody seems to have seen it. It's so funny. I recorded um, that episode with Don't Look Up, which we released, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago from when you will hear this. Um, But I recorded it in December because I was going away for Christmas. So I did lots of episodes in December and released it the first week of January. I'm like, oh, people will take a while to get to it on Netflix. I'll release it in the first week of January. By the time I released it, there was, everybody had seen it. The discourse online was kind of crazy. And because we recorded it before people were talking about the movie, like you listen to our episode and, you know, we just reviewed the movie. It's very, a very sane discussion, but we never brought up the controversy or the discourse. But anyway, so I wanted to ask you about that. Charles, have you seen Don't Look Up? Um, I told you before the show that, um, my girlfriend and her family put the film on and we were all trying to watch it and they turned it off. (laughs) So I've seen part of Don't Look Up. Um, but I will say outside of Step Brothers, I'm not a big Adam McKay fan. Mm -hmm. I hated the big short when I saw it. That was like a painful experience of just me and one other friend being in the theater being like, is this over yet? We hate this. Like, I mean, and then Vice was like truly my least favorite film in that whole best picture lineup, just because at least Green Book was well edited, I guess. Mahershala (laughs) Ali is pretty to look at. Nothing in Vice was pretty to look at. I hated it. Yeah, if you didn't like (laughs) Vice or The Big Short, I don't think you're going to like Don't Look Up. But one of the things that, uh, that people have been talking about is the way that Kate looks in this movie, which we talked about a little bit in the podcast we did about Don't Look Up. But I called her in the podcast, the fembot, but you know, she has fake teeth. The hair is very blonde, but also just like stuck. Like it doesn't move and every, and the smile is so fake. And a lot of people have been talking about this look and I think she was going for comedy and she is funny because this woman is supposed to be this fake news anchor and everything about her look is fake. So I think she got the assignment and got it right. (laughs) What did you think of that? You must have seen the photos. Yeah, I saw the photos and I just remember that it's honestly not her decision on set how she looks for the film. I'm pretty sure Adam McKay, mm-hmm. based off of how much he's talking on Twitter and means to be quiet, that he had a very specific thing going in with her character in particular and she was just going to do it. And Kate Blanchett being Kate Blanchett, she just rolls with it. She can do anything. Yeah. She's magic. Yes. I wish there was a better version of this film where she got to be kind of a villainous news anchor with no morals and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, she looks the part. She looks, I 
think she always looks great though. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, even though she's made to look a certain way, I'm like, that's still Kate Blanchett. I still see Carol in there. A little bit of Carol. I really like her chemistry with Leo DiCaprio in this film. And I and they have chemistry. I love the aviator. Yeah. I'm that person. And again, that's a good working relationship to go into a very chaotic film now, all these years later. Yeah. So I'm glad she got to hang out with her old pal. Totally. And my hope for it is that Kate and Leo do another movie, do a movie where you both, um, Leo is at the center of Don't Look Up, but do a movie where you're both at the center of it. And let's, let's get that. Get your friend Martin Scorsese to do it. And a real aviator reunion. <laughs> really? Let's find a good script and a good director. And not whatever Adam McKay is doing with all his Netflix money. Yes. So this is my sort of like one of my people that I would like Kate to work with in the future. And tell us, who would you like to see her work with? Okay. I wrote down a few things. Um, One of them just based on a picture that we all saw at the Cannes Film Festival, Kristen Stewart. Yes. We all saw Kristen just looking and gazing upon her. We've all been there. So I want that. Randomly, Nicole Bahari, because I know we both love her. And I'm like, I want them being hot and villainous or cool together in something like what Ocean's 8 should have been. And then just because I love 20th century women so much, I'm like, what's Mike Mills doing? Let's do something good for Kate Blanchett. Yes. And not like, where'd you go, Bernadette? Where I think she's good, but like, that's not a good movie. These are all amazing choices. Kristen Stewart, Nicole Bihari, Mike Mills. Amazing. I love all of them. Let's get them all doing this movie together. That is somehow in my mind. Yes. Um, So I have asked almost every guest who comes on the podcast to answer this question. But my own number one answer has always been... Pedro Almodovar. That's my favorite filmmaker. Kate is my favorite actor. And I have wanted them to work together for a long time. And this week, the week we're recording, they have announced it's been signed. They've signed it. There's been a rumor going around for a couple of years now that they're going to do an adaptation of the Lucia Berlin book, um, A Manual for Cleaning Women. But this week came the news that they actually signed it. I was so excited when I read that. So happy about it. This is full Anne Hathaway dreams come true Oscar moments. Yes, absolutely. It came like, true. This is actual magic happening. Yeah. I'm so excited just to see what's going on because like, Elmodov- like how do you go wrong? No, you can't. Like, it's wonderful. You can't go wrong. It's fine. It, it'll be fine. Even his worst films are interesting yeah. and like his worst films are watchable still absolutely i love him so much i love his movies i love kate it's so i've been beside myself on such a hot street totally parallel mothers is great he's (sighs) doing doing the thing with penelope cruz but now he's gonna do it with kate i'm just like since this news came out i'm just like this is now something to live for i have to make sure i don't get omicron so i I can watch we are gonna get every vaccine (laughs) for the next several years and lifetime probably just to make sure we can see this i'm so excited absolutely i think this is a wonderful note to end on let's let's hope for a wonderful film between kate and pedro 
And Chels, you were such a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for coming on Sundays with Kate. This was such a wonderful conversation. Yes, thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad I've watched this movie now because I have been curious whenever I realize it exists. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll watch that someday. And this has been so much fun. I love Kate Blanchett. I love Jack Black. This has been a dream. It's so much fun for me too. And before we go, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. I am at Shell725 on Twitter and Letterboxd, and you can find all my stuff really there and Untitled Cinema Gals podcast, Community Rewatch. Go go listen to some stuff. There's way too many hours of me either editing stuff together or talking way too much. Thank you, Chels. And I will continue um, having wonderful guests like Chels on the podcast to finish the few films that I haven't talked about in Kate Blanchett's filmography, including more talk about Carol. But I'm taking a break from Carol for a couple of weeks. We'll talk about a couple of other films and then we'll go back to Carol. And then you can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says or follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening.